Hello everyone, Dr. Nick Washburn here from Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. My aim during this podcast is to provide an introduction to DC and Ryan's self-determination theory, or SDT in short, and to establish some basic connections to practice in physical education. SDT is a macro theory comprised of various micro theories of human motivation, emotion, and development. It focuses on the factors that facilitate or impede the innate tendencies for people to be self-driven. I will not be speaking here to each micro-theory individually, rather I will focus on the fundamental tenets of the overarching theory. For a more comprehensive understanding of SDT, I suggest referencing the SDT website, selfdeterminationtheory.org, or the already large and continuously blossoming body of peer-reviewed literature available through various outlets, among them, for example, Google Scholar. So what exactly does SDT propose? One central tenet of SDT considers motivation to vary in quality, not quantity. That is, it's not how much motivation a person has, but rather their type of motivation that energizes their behavior and has distinct physical and psychological consequences. There are currently five recognized forms of motivation residing on a continuum of behavioral regulation. That is to say that motivational type is qualified by the mechanism that initiates and regulates the behavior. There has been some inconsistency over the years as to which types of motivation are considered extrinsic or intrinsic in nature. However, there is consensus that they are delineated by the location of the perceived locus of causality with respect to one's core. The perceived locus of causality is essentially a sense of personal volition or autonomy. As this locus of causality moves proximally, becoming more internalized, behavior becomes increasingly self-governed. With distal movement, behavior becomes more externally governed. More extrinsic forms of motivation have been observed to associate with greater levels of anxiety, lower creativity, and inferior responses to failure, whereas more autonomous forms of motivation have been linked with increased enjoyment and effort. As has been suggested in previous podcasts, referencing a visual figure of this continuum may help to better comprehend my comments. Anchoring one end of the continuum is what many know to be classic extrinsic motivation. When one's behavior is regulated externally, their perceived locus of causality is completely beyond their self. Their behavior is a means to an external end. A student participating in PE to obtain a high grade or to avoid being publicly scorned by the teacher would be acting out of external regulation. Ironically, despite the ubiquity of these motivational techniques in schools, numerous studies have demonstrated their adverse effect on prolonged engagement as the desired behavior decreases or even stops completely once the controlling agent, be it for example a grade or a dirty look, is removed. A slightly more autonomous, yet still quite controlled form of motivation 
is behavior regulated through introjection. When acting through introjection, individuals' perceived locus of causality is within themselves, but it is thought to be far from their core. For introjected behavior, the purpose is to alleviate self-induced pressure. This pressure could, for instance, manifest itself in the need to outperform others or to avoid feelings of inferiority. To borrow from achievement goal theory, introjected behavior is not unlike that demonstrated by those possessing performance approach and avoidance goal orientations. In PE, the, be the behavior of students participating in order to win or prove their abilities to others would be regulated through introjection. Identified behavior stands as an increasingly internalized form of motivation. While the behavior is still exhibited to obtain a separate outcome, identified behavior bears personal importance and thus brings with it a level of freedom. Rather than arising out of guilt or internal pressure, identified action is traceable to personal commitment. Behavior has become identified when one sees its value. In PE, for example, students actively acquainting themselves with commonly available fitness equipment, because they view such knowledge and skills as being useful in life, would be motivated through identification. Behavior regulated through integration constitutes the second most autonomous form of motivation. When behavior regulated through identification becomes increasingly internalized insofar as it aligns with one's core values, allowing them to say, this is part of who I am, it has become regulated by integration. The key distinction between identified and integrated behavior is congruence with sense of self. Identified behavior is important on its own. The behavior of someone exercising because they recognize the importance of being healthy would be regulated by identification. If this same person were to exercise because they feel doing so is part of their true identity, their behavior would be regulated through integration. The most autonomous form of motivation, commonly referred to as intrinsic motivation, is intrinsic regulation. When intrinsically regulated, people act volitionally, with interest, curiosity, and enjoyment. They do not feel pressured. This is the highest quality and purest form of motivation. Students learning more about yoga and preparing a routine to teach their classmates because they enjoy and want to learn more about yoga would be operating out of intrinsic regulation. Finally, it is possible for one to demonstrate a motivation or a lack of behavioral initiation and regulation. This lack of motivation to engage primarily arises from feelings of incompetence or a complete lack of confidence in being able to control the outcome of one's actions. A second fundamental tenet of SDT is the assumption that all people are born with the capacity and perpetually seek 
to function autonomously. Rather than being fixed, motivational quality is determined by psychological need satisfaction. Similar to how humans require ongoing satisfaction of their biological needs for, say, food and water for survival, they require ongoing satisfaction of three innate psychological needs for optimal functioning. Specifically, these include the need for autonomy or a sense of volition or control over their actions, competence, a feeling of mastery or control of an outcome, and third, relatedness or a sense of belonging, connectedness, and importance to others. A third crucial consideration of SDT is the social climate's influence on individuals' psychological needs. Specifically, an environment can be supportive or inhibitive of people's psychological needs, ushering perceptions of psychological needs satisfaction or frustration, respectively. Within the domain of school-based physical education, the teacher, through their motivating style, can create a social climate that supports students' psychological needs and breeds autonomously regulated behavior, or one that thwarts students' psychological needs and breeds more externally regulated behavior. From an applied SDT perspective in PE, teachers would want to maximize the extent to which they are supporting their students' psychological needs in pursuit of autonomous student motivation. With this in mind, need-supportive teachers do certain things. First, they take their students' perspectives. They act as a helping hand as opposed to a driven authoritarian. They allow for student exploration and choice within a set of parameters. They rely on non-pressuring informational language, such as, you might try it this way. Have you considered what effect this might have? Need-supportive teachers display patience when students have difficulty mastering skills and grasping concepts. Along these lines, and within reason of course, they accept students' expressions of negative affect as normal reactions to experiencing hardship and avoid being overly critical in response. Finally, they provide explanatory rationales behind their instructions. They give the why behind the what, giving students an explanation behind their requests other than because I'm the teacher and I told you so. Physical education teachers can support student autonomy by, for example, providing students choices in the selection and order of certain exercises to perform. Certain instructional models, such as sport education, infuse opportunities for student voice throughout, such as during role selection, game modification, or which statistics to keep. They can support competence by giving thoughtful consideration to providing developmentally appropriate content and ensuring equal and maximum opportunities to participate. 
Just as teachers can support their students' psychological needs through need supportive instruction, they can thwart their needs through instruction that is controlling, chaotic, and cold. They can be controlling by relying on deadlines, external enforcements such as punishments or rewards, or using pressuring language such as you have to do this, you should do or must do that. Chaotic classes in which objectives, instructions, and criteria for success are unclear impede feelings of competence. Lastly, teachers employing favoritism, conditional regard based on performance or some other measure, or neglecting to learn or use students' names frustrate their students' need for relatedness. I hope this podcast was helpful in initially unpacking the major tenets of SDT, identifying some of its application in practice, and potentially sparking an interest in further inquiry. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education.